Well, this morning with Ken in, in Fiji um, and uh, on the mission trip that he was able to, to go on and to, to provide a teaching service uh, with Chris and the Steyers returning from their uh, trip today as well, I have the distinct privilege to introduce to you a summer Sunday morning series that we're starting today. Most of you have already figured it out because you're expert readers and you're kind of eager to know what are we talking about this morning. Um, but we're going to be talking about eschatology. That's it? Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. You, know, you guys didn't like erupt with praise right there? Um, you know, hey, that, that's a, it could be a surprise for some of you. Um, I'm, I'm curious, before this morning, who, who knew that this was going to be our series this summer? Okay, two, three, okay, so the elders, you guys don't count, uh, and some others with uh, some privileged information. Yeah, so, so this is the plan. The plan is that we are going to be looking this summer at a series on the end times, the end times, the study of future things. Now, this topic conjures up some different responses in us, doesn't it? You probably even think right now the variety of of uh, people that we have in here, the history, the, the place we've come from, the churches we've been to, the books that we've read, the experiences that we've had, there's probably a pretty wide variety of reactions to eschatology. Uh, I think that, uh, I think back to the first time that I heard someone teach to me a series just on this topic. And it was in seminary, so I didn't even, as a kid growing up in the church, didn't even really have a, a chance to really hear just about this topic and to understand it very well. So when I got to this Theo 4, Theology 4 class, and I knew it was going to be on this topic, I was giddy like a schoolgirl. I was like, yes, okay, finally, finally, finally. I have a lot of questions, uh, and I need some answers. And I didn't know how the church in Israel related to each other. I didn't know the Old and the New Testament, how they related to each other. I didn't really know like, what was going to happen in the future and, and why. And I didn't really know if the order mattered. And I, I didn't really know how many things to take literally and how many things were figurative. And, and I, I didn't really know a lot. And, and so I had, had tons of questions. When I brought the, the series, after hearing it in, in seminary, brought the series to our college group at our old church, they were interested too. They haven't had anyone teach them and kind of handhold them through a series on it. And, and so every week I was teaching on this, this topic uh, for a, a stretch with them. And, and they had so many questions. And they wanted to stay late and ask. And they wanted to interrupt me during the week and talk. And, and, uh, and they had great questions, very thinking questions. There are other responses, too, that scale from positive to negative and everything in between. Some might think, oh, man, you couldn't have told me a more divisive and difficult topic. Uh, maybe that's why some of you were silent earlier. Uh, you might think in your mind, wow, well, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we have a hard time as Christians really kind of getting along around. You know, why can't we just make it all about the gospel, about Jesus, and just put our differences aside, and when it comes to eschatology, keep it over there in the corner. You know, it's... Uh, some, some of us might have that knee-jerk reaction in our mind. Some of us might think, oh yeah, that fictional series that, uh, that I read and, and I watched uh, on, on 
the TV series, or, or there's, there's tons of post-apocalyptic movies and such a fascination with this topic of, of the end. A lot has been uh, put out, and there have been times where it's been more popular to talk about and produce uh, works on. And, and so maybe some of those things have left you a little confused or, or wondering how many of those things are actually in the Bible. You know, that was a really interesting, you know, fictional take on that, but how much of that was really from the Bible? Was all of it? I don't know. Uh, some of us might think about date setters who are saying, the Lord is going to return, and they give a date, and they ramp up all these people to get excited about this, and that date comes and goes. And it's been happening for hundreds, no, thousands of years since Jesus ascended into heaven. You know, the disciples were pretty curious. You know one of the questions that they cared to ask first? When? When are you coming back? Before he even ascended and, and, and departed from them, when are you coming back? And, and what, is the, what are the signs that we can expect before you come so we can be prepared, so we can know? So they wanted to know when. They wanted to know when. There is a fascination in us, but Jesus kind of holds off the answer to that when question. But he doesn't hold us off from information about the end. He gives so much detail and information about the end that for us to brush it aside would be us taking issue with a topic that we have a hard time understanding and pushing it aside and putting it below something else. There are a lot of things happening in our world as we look at the news, look at the Middle East, and we see a lot of conflict and a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, if, you know, if, uh, if, this, if this wasn't sign of the times, I don't know what is. And it just keeps getting more and more like that. And some people just simply say, hey, Jesus is going to return when he returns. The end will come when it comes. Until then, I have a real life to live. And, uh, and I just need help with that. So they divorce the two. And you're kind of thinking, well, hold on, hold on. I think a bottom line is to, to say this. Eschatology is, is interesting and challenging, probably just as interesting as it is challenging to understand. Sometimes when you talk about it or think about it or are left to yourself, you feel like eschatology is as clear as the waters of Galveston. Nice and brown with that greenish yellow to it on top. You know, it turns out that's not from pollution. I thought maybe right away I was like, ugh. Where did they put the trash here? You know, or something. I, I didn't know where I was coming from. But it's not from pollution. Um, it's from all the ships that are going through, uh, you know, back and forth through the Houston Ship Channel, uh, kind of churning up those sediments and sending them in. Um, but you know probably where I'm going next. What happened last weekend? Was it brown? No. It changed. Has anybody ever seen, did anybody go this last weekend to, to, to Galveston to see the water? Okay, two. Okay, so um, maybe if you didn't see the news, the, the water in Galveston changed. Uh, in the words of Texas Monthly, uh, in the headline, it said this, For one weekend, Galveston had blue water. Everyone freaked out. <laughs> Below that it said, We all know the Gulf of Mexico is brown until it isn't. Um, so, so what happened? What happened to make it look like Destin? What happened to make it so clear that you could see underneath your hand, your feet, and other things swirling around in the, in the ebb and the flow of the water? What happened? Well, it's not just because all the ships took Memorial Day weekend off. 
It's not because something happened because of what man did. It's something that was kind of beyond man's control. And city officials say that the spectacularly blue waters were due to the currents in the Gulf shifting, changing from east to west. Scientists also speculated that a subtropical storm, Alberto, uh, had something to do with it, maybe pushing a a plume of crystal clear blue water uh, our direction for a momentary Destin-like experience. Uh, But what I'm praying for, what I'm hoping for, is for wherever we're at in our mind about this topic of eschatology, it could be some muddy waters in our mind. It could not seem very clear, and we could say, uh, you know, I'm I'm not interested. But I'm praying that God would change those kind of patterns of thinking in us. That the current would change, as it were, so that we could see his grand plan with a greater clarity. And so that, that, that clarity that put before us from God's word would allow us to pull up to God's word each weekend and dive in. And dive in. And find things that we haven't seen before. See things that we, we thought couldn't be seen With the Spirit's help and with God's Word open, hopefully we'll be able to see that. I want us to learn to both long and live for Christ's return. He is coming soon. We've sung about it. His kingdom will return. It will come from heaven to earth. And uh, to my knowledge, and I've been told that we haven't uh, taught you on this subject yet at, at much length, and so we're going to go into this and Chris Steyer and I are going to kind of co-tackle the topic with you this summer. And as we teach on this, hopefully our lives will radically change, radically change for God's glory, knowing that Christ's appearing is imminent. So this morning, I get to introduce to you the topic. I get to give you an introduction to eschatology. This is the beginning of the end of the end times, and I'll be asking three basic questions and uh, pretty straightforward answers, but I want to get us headed the right direction. So that's my objective for this message this morning. What I want to do first of all before we look at those questions is go with you in Scripture to Matthew chapter 6. So go with me to Matthew chapter 6. I want to point something out that maybe you've glossed over, maybe you've read and heard a thousand times before, but I want to capture a thought here. It comes to you in the sixth chapter of Matthew and and, in verse 10, beginning of verse 10. This is a section of the Bible where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. He's taught them about how not to pray. There's some bad examples, these kind of meaningless repetitions, and, and like the Gentiles, they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. He's taught, he's taught them to, to not pray like the Pharisees who pray um, just in a public way so that what they say and how they say it can be seen and, uh, and they can get the praise of men. He contrasts those things, and then he gives a positive example of how to pray. And I'm just going to read the first two verses of what he says to pray like. As verse 8, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me just pause there for a second, make some observations. This is a model prayer with God's priorities. Sometimes when we think about how we pray, we evaluate the things that we pray about. A lot of times we have our priorities or man's priorities or worldly priorities rather than God's priorities. And so if Jesus were to teach us how to pray, certainly he's going to give us the right priorities about how to pray. First of all, he addresses his father in a very relational way. So when you pray, it should be like you as a child talking to a father who loves you affectionately and loyally and faithfully and compassionately. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. He's not just your Father. He's in heaven. He has the highest place. You're not in heaven. He is. That means He is above you. And so you give Him that place. And this is personal. It's between you and God. And and not only is this a a model prayer, it's personal in nature. But He teaches us to have a heavenly mentality for earthly activity. He teaches us to have a heavenly mentality that is fit for earthly activity. Look at what he says. He says three things. He said, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those three things are meant to be paired up together. You can almost view them as kind of a a, a restatement or combining the the three, like a braided cord. You've addressed the Father. Now, Now you pray this, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And he qualifies it by saying, on earth as it is in heaven. So he wants these three things to be done on earth as they are being done and done in heaven. So think about that just for a second. Hallowed be your name means to honor his name, lift it up. Is that being done in heaven? Absolutely. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who reigns over all things. He's given praise. And so we hallow his name. We we honor him as holy. Recognizing his name above all other names, there is none like him. Then you see uh, that, that second thing, your kingdom come. There is, in a very real sense, God reigning as king over all things in heaven right now. And what God says goes every time. He's the boss. He's in control of every detail. Perfect sovereignty over all things. No one is above him. There's no other throne or chain of command that's above him second place is so far below that there is an infinite gap between who comes next and so you have this this praying for not only his name to be hallowed or uh, recognized as holy but you see a desire for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven so we we sang earlier very appropriately with what he taught us to to pray So that song was a prayer, and it is a prayer. And so when we're looking at this series this summer, and it says, your kingdom come, it is first a what? It's a prayer. This is our three-word prayer for the summer. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. And if you were to expand on that, it not only has to do with putting his name above all others, recognizing him of where he Uh, belongs but you see what it says next that third part of the the braided cord uh, on earth uh, sorry your will be done so this is about God's will being done in heaven his will is done perfectly no challenging of it what he says goes here on the earth is his will done perfectly 
No, his will is challenged by sin and Satan and the curse and all of that. So it is a prayer to recognize that when the kingdom comes of the one who has the highest name, his will will be done on the earth as it is in heaven, perfectly, without challenge. And that's what we need to pray about. We need to pray like. We need to pray that he would return soon, establish his throne that is in heaven on this earth. And until then, we would live under his reign, under him as our king. This is a beautiful verse, and we can't overlook it. We need to have this in front of us. So now let us get into our three crucial questions that will help us get started. The first question I want to give you is the what question. The what question, the meaning of eschatology. Let's look at this for a second. The what question. The meaning of eschatology. The word eschatology refers to the doctrine or the theology of last things. In Greek, the word eschaton or eschatos is last. Uh, and so the, the eschaton is going to be on pretty soon. All right, so that's one way to remember it. Um, but uh, eschaton, last things, it refers to the last days. The last days, a phrase that appears often in Scripture that keeps coming up a lot. The last days, the last days, the last days. And so we know that this is something that God is not shy talking about. He wants to prepare us for it. And in fact, in some way, we are in the last days now. Because verses talk about uh, how from, from his death and resurrection on, it is the last days. That's what got the disciples totally curious about, okay, so is the kingdom coming? Uh, is, it, is it now? Will you establish your kingdom here in Israel now? Remember Acts chapter 1? And he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. And so he holds them off. And so this eschaton uh, is talked about quite frequently. Other kinds of theology cover important subjects like, like God, Scripture, man, sin, Christ, the Holy Spirit, salvation, church. And there's fancy words like hamartiology, Christology, bibliology, pneumatology. They all end in theology. Um, and so this is, uh, this is the eschatology. It's the, the study of the scriptures, particularly the verses that talk about the end or the prophecies, the events, and the developments that are associated with the return of Christ. There's an epic event that's going to happen, an absolutely epic event that no one will m miss and it will be unmistakable when it comes and it is coming soon. And that is what this study of end times is about. So that is the, the simply the what question. Next, I want to get to our second question, the how question. Let's talk about the method of eschatology. The method of eschatology. How are we going to do this? How are we going to tackle this? It's a big topic. Much can be said on it. Much has been said on it. And much has been written as well. I'm going to give you a, a few things. A few things to be said here. First of all, we're going to try to stay faithful to a literal approach to God's word. And when you study eschatology, a lot of passages have metaphors and, and uh, creative speech to describe things. Well, I would suggest to you when you come upon a metaphor, continue to read literally, and that's literally a metaphor. So that's what you do with the metaphor. You take it to mean what the author meant. But some people have a tendency to approach the scriptures in a, in a unique way. They kind of 
uh, approach it in, in, a, in a, they'll spiritualize the passage, or they'll look for a, a deeper meaning or, or another sense other than the literal sense that's being talked about in these verses, and they'll come up with a different method, a different method of, of arriving at different conclusions as to what's going to happen. One of those is all millennialism, um, and so we'll talk about this uh, later, but in, in a view like that, there is more of an allegorical method seeking deeper and hidden meanings. Uh, and so there is a, a symbolism that's always sought after and looked for and applied sometimes uh, in a way that, that miscommunicates. And so we need to be faithful to looking at Scripture and go, okay, how literal can I understand God? He's spoken very clearly about this topic. He's given us a lot to study and to examine. So we want to be very careful when we handle it. We want to take Him literally, grammatically, historically, and so that's how we're going to approach it. Now, second, I want, to, I want to just talk about the how here is that we need to understand how eschatology fits in to our study of theology as a whole. If you were to say, okay, well, you know, theology of God, that's pretty high. That's like, we'll say that's primary. That's like a top-tier theology. Um, study of the Bible, bibliology. Yeah, that's pretty high. I'm going to put that at the tier one also. Um, the church. I think... Jesus cares about the church a lot. Okay, we'll put that up in there in the, in the primary level. Eschatology. Oh, yeah, end times. Uh, you know, I've heard more people tell me, oh, that's a secondary doctrine, than I've heard probably anybody tell me it's a primary doctrine. And I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on a sec. Now, I understand that we want to make sure that we are understanding that inside of the field of study, looking at the end, there are certain things that I would probably put in that tier two secondary category. But don't take eschatology as a whole and just put it down there and say, these other things are more important, this thing is second. That's something that we do almost like out of a reaction. I think a lot of times we do that because we're coming from experience, not based off, off of what Scripture says authoritatively. So there, I would say put eschatology in a primary level, understanding that certain topics within it are going to be secondary, meaning... We can still have fellowship. We can still look at somebody who believes in a different timing of the rapture, for example. And, and we could totally disagree about the timing of the rapture. And I could look at that person and say, I love you. I can't wait to worship with you uh, in heaven together. But you're wrong about the rapture. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to say that. Um, and, and just understand, okay, uh, this person has their hope in Christ's return. Absolutely. But there are things that we might talk about and go, well, yeah, I'm not sure if I see the, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ the same way you do. We don't just go, well, I'm out of here, and then just, you know, break fellowship. Uh, I think there are certain things that are secondary, and, and it, takes, it takes careful study of the Scriptures to understand, okay, God is very clear about this. Let's make this a priority, highest priority. This, there's wiggle room. Let's be careful about this, that it doesn't divide us and butt us head to head. So that's something that's going to take some tact and careful study of God's Word uh, as we work through this topic. Um, something else I want to say is that we, we don't want to uh, go to the academic side too far to where we check out the practical. And we, and we don't want to do the opposite either. We don't want to launch into, let's just make it really practical, because people are scared at the academic side of it. And... and and without digging into the scriptures. So we need to make sure that one isn't, isn't pushed to the front without uh, the other or the, at the expense of the other. 
Um, one other thing is uh, thinking about this. We have, um, very practically speaking, we have two messages coming after this one that are more kind of the beginning of setting the scene a little bit. Our approach to, okay, how are we going to move through this and talk about these events that come up in the Bible that talk about the end? Then we're going to go piece by piece, just chronologically. That's our plan. So when you ask, how are we going to do this? We're just going to kind of move through it and just look at the verses that apply to what seems to be a chronological approach to the end times. So we want to help you think through uh, what comes first, second, third, fourth, on through, um, understanding that there's going to be some debate about those things, but we're going to do our best to teach those things. Now, what, uh, what I've provided for you, and uh, this is something that we have kind of uh, come around together and agreed on, is a, a little visual. So some of you probably got a, a half sheet that has a timeline. Um, they didn't get, you know, stuck in those bulletins in time, so they might be at the back still. That's okay. You can get one of those. If you're a child and you want to color, this is an appropriate time to color, okay? So I know this promotion Sunday, and some of you are kind of like, I brought my crayons. I'm ready to go. Um, so this is a, a good opportunity to take that black and white half sheet of a kind of an overview, and, and here's, here's what I'm talking about, okay? So some, some boxes, some colorful, you know, things that you could add some color to. All right, now, at first blush, this could seem a little overwhelming. You're like, okay, arrows everywhere, you know, it's just like, you know, and uh, labels and, and different things, okay? What I want to do is, is work through something like this. Sometimes it's helpful for me visually to kind of hang my thoughts on something. And you need a little bit of guidance along the way. And something like this, I think, can be helpful for us as we move through the different parts and as we talk about the rapture, tribulation, and these other pieces of Scripture that come together one after the other. And so we are going to, I think, first click here. Um, first of all, talk uh, about the, the rapture coming up in a, in a few weeks here. Um, and, uh, and so we see Christ coming to, not to the earth, but into the clouds where he gathers us up with him, snatches us up. And then uh, after that, we have the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb, two distinct things that happen uh, in the air, what it seems, um, when we're with Christ. So that would be for the people who have been, have been uh, snatched up uh, from the church age uh, and to be with those who have also fallen, fallen asleep, as Paul puts it, or have, have died and gone to be with the Lord. Okay, so is the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those events happen right before the return. While those things are happening, um, there is something happening on the earth. So if you wanted almost kind of like levels here, the blocks that are going this way um, kind of have to do with what's going on on the earth. The things above that would be things going on in the sky or in heaven with God below. You get the image there, right? Hades. So the tribulation period, uh, we'll give some, some time to. A seven-year period of, of God pouring out his judgment, different uh, sequences of events, thing, things happening there. This is when it gets really rhythmic. And it's like uh, the woman in birth pains and you know something is going to happen. The world is moving towards something. And it's seizing with pressure and pain. And it's going toward something. And what it's going toward is the second coming. So the second coming is when Christ comes. He comes specifically to, to judge those who have risen up against him and to establish his kingdom on the earth. If you were to take Christ's analogy of the birth pains... And think about it, how, how they, they come with, you know, the spiking. I mean, if you're a husband and you've, you've stood by watching your wife give, give birth um, naturally, you, you, you look at this little monitor and you see those, like, 
I don't know what they're called, but they go like up and down like waves. And you know, in every wave that comes, it's another contraction and it's a lot of pain. The body's trying to release this little life form into the world. Um, and, and it's like, she, most women, are, are writhing in pain uh, and those times come and you're just there trying to not do what's wrong. You know, you're trying to hold, hold her hand or get ice chips, more ice chips, you know, you're trying to figure out where to be, where not to be. Um, and uh, that's tricky. That's really hard as a dad, okay? It's very traumatic, you know, giving birth as a dad. So, um, but anyways, um, there is a perfect analogy in that because what happens when all of that comes to the screeching halt, the child is born. I'm not saying the woman's not in pain after that, absolutely. But there is a, a relief. There is something of glory. There's something of just a precious life that has come and all the attention goes there. Well, guess what? Jesus is saying the tribulation is like that. It's, it's rhythmic. There are these wars and rumors of wars. The earth is seizing, going through all this hardship. And then what happens? Well, Christ comes and he sets up his millennial kingdom. And it's like, there's your baby. Uh, this, is, this is what he returns for. So this is him actually coming to the earth, not just catching us up in the sky, but returning with us to the earth, establishing his throne, what we prayed earlier, your kingdom come. Okay? Your kingdom come. There will be a sheep and the goat's judgment at that point. Like it says in Matthew 25 and 24, um, the sheep will remain, stay with him. If they've lived through the seven-year period, uh, the goats, they're going down. All right? And uh, the unbelievers. All right? So the millennial kingdom being a thousand years, as Revelation 20 points it out, at the end of that, there is one last judgment, the great white throne judgment. You like that? That's my white. I kind of like put a back, black background. So a great white throne judgment. And that is the time when, uh, in the end, all, all unbelievers are brought up to be judged. Not only all unbelievers, but Satan and, uh, and the earth as we know it, and it will be turned into the new heavens and the new earth. So we have at the end, really, kind of a, a heaven and hell message, uh, two messages, one on heaven and one on hell, and that is an eternity forward. So this is kind of a little bit of a, a sketch of what our plan is to go through with you. So there's some colorful pieces to it. Uh, don't be overwhelmed by it. Um, and, uh, and just understand that this is going to be somewhat of our approach. So some of you who are thinkers, you're already putting together certain timing things up there. Yes, we have landed on certain positions. So there are going to be things that we're going to defend and say, I think the scriptures lean us toward this because X, Y, Z. Um, we're going to try to do that very carefully. But... Um, but I think this, this leads us to the, probably the most important question of the morning. And we'll end with this, the why question. The why question. Let's get to that. So the motivations of eschatology. All right, so my desire is to kind of pique your interest a little bit, get you kind of theologically salivating, maybe kind of looking forward to this summer. But uh, I want most importantly for us to, to not dart over this question, but to just camp out on it for a second before we uh, wrap this up. I'm going to give you five benefits for studying eschatology. Five benefits to studying eschatology. Not just so that you can make a chart. Not just so you can kind of find your calendar, put a big circle on the day. Okay, we've done the science. We've figured it out. We've added it all up. It's just right. Okay, we're all ready for it. No, this is going to impact our life, our thinking, our living, our activity, our service, our longing, and our living. First benefit is that it reminds us that God is sovereign. It reminds us that God is sovereign. I absolutely love this attribute of God. 
It, it portrays him as the king. I've been reading through the Psalms on my own and, and, uh, and studying through the Psalms. And some of those verses that come up at the beginning of Psalm 93, 95, 97, just kind of scream it out there, who God is. In Psalm 93, 1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 95, 3, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Lower G. So he's a great king above all other powers and rulers in, on the earth and above the earth in, in a spiritual realm sense. Again, Psalm 97, verse 1, The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. This world is a mess. The world that we live in is filled with chaos. The Bible says that this world presently right now is under a curse. If you need to think about once and some TV series that helps you think about that or, or some other way that helps you think about something being under a curse, that's what this world is under. We don't, it's hard for us to see it because we kind of just jump into everything and just kind of almost forget, oh, yeah, that's a part of this fallen world. And so there's all kinds of difficult things that we experience, but just know that the curse has been put there by God, not to remain, but to be lifted by Christ. And he is the sovereign. He's the one and only sovereign. He is the one that can take the curse and reverse the curse. That's his prerogative, his power as God. He will reign over king. So now, uh, as king, over all. Now, we think about this practically and we go, wow. This is something that I need because right now my life is a mess. Right now my life is characterized by chaos. I don't know what to make of the things that are going on around me that I don't have control of. And I don't know what to make of the things that are going on in my life that I do have control of. I'm a mess. I'm a zoo. I've tried to play king. I've tried to play queen of my life and it is not working. What is going on? Whatever it is that's going through your mind, just know there is the one and only sovereign, the Lord Jesus, who is over all of our trouble. And we begin to find great comfort and insight when we study what is going to happen ahead of us. Second benefit is that it reminds us that God is good. So, so what is God who is all-powerful and completely in control if he is not good? Well, you've got a problem, right? Because then you don't know what he's going to do next, and you don't know if it's going to be in your best interest. So you go, okay, you've told me that God is king above all kings, and you've told me that he is all-powerful, and he can do whatever he wants. Is he good? Is, 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 am I okay to, like, talk to him? Like, can I, can I, can I come near him? Is there, some, is there some way? Well, absolutely. We have a God who is sovereign, and he is good. He is good. As Christians, we seem to carry around a lot of pain, 
and a lot of trouble and difficulty and trial. We are persecuted for our faith. We suffer wrongdoing. We turn the other cheek. We bless when we're cursed. We take up our cross. We deny our flesh. We say no to the world when it offers us its worldly attractions. We give of our material blessings, the things that we worked so hard for, we give to other people. Some people don't work as hard as us. Uh, We sacrifice for the needs of others. We forbear with those who frustrate us. And we walk through what seems to be more valleys of darkness and death than we do hilltops of just light and splendor in life. It's hard. Where are we headed? Sometimes, as a Christian, it's very difficult. And you almost need some reassurance that God, He has written the last chapter. Whatever chapter you're in right now and how dark it is, there is that next chapter Oh, turn the page. You will be astounded by what God has for those who are His. For those who are His. Now, if you are not His, I can tell you of a good God who is in control, but you need to surrender control of your life. You need to surrender control of your life to Him, recognize Him as King for you to understand some of His goodness. And he will pour out his goodness upon you if you surrender your life to Christ and follow him. But that's a point of decision that you have to make. End times, this summer series, is going to be terrifying if you don't know where you stand with God. Absolutely terrifying. But if you know, and you can say, I know my Redeemer. I know Jesus. I know what he has done for me. He has completely freed me, take all my grief and borne it on himself. So when that day comes, I'll be ready. I'm ready today for that day, whenever that comes. He is a good God. Whatever suffering we're going through in this present time, it won't be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us, Romans 8, 18. Thirdly, it motivates us to holy living. It motivates us to holy living. Amen is right. Some of us think about eschatology and we go, we're like that ostrich, right? Just, you know, shove our head in the sand, in the dirt and go, uh, I'm good, you know, but um, if you want to be that bird, then you can. But, uh, but listening to this study and, and getting into God's word and reading these passages and these promises that are sure and knowing that his return is imminent, imminent, sorry, it is, is going to change the way you live. It's going to make you someone who is a godly man a godly woman. If you want to be a godly man, a young man, an aged man, do you want to be a godly young woman, a godly uh, aged woman in, in, your, in your prime of life, wherever you think you're at in life, you want to live godly, don't avoid the subject. Look full into it. 1 John 3, 2, and 3 addresses it. That when God appears, we shall be like him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So he is coming back, and when we look to him and long for him, we, we look at the things in our life that are not pure, and we go, this needs to get out. I'm ready for him. He's pure. And as I look to him, I purify my life. I look to him, I purify those things that are impure. Those go out. It motivates us to holy living. James 5, 8 to 9, write this one down. 
James 5, 8 to 9 says, You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't we need to hear that? That the coming of the Lord is near? Do not complain, brothers, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. But listen to what he says here. James 5, 9. Behold, or like look, the judge is standing right at the door. The judge is standing right at the door. Here's the image for you. If you're in a room, on a couch, kicking back, feet up, and you're staring at a door that doesn't have a window, and it gets quiet for a second, and that door handle jiggles, you know somebody is on the other side about to come into that room. Well, this is what it is like. Creation is like a room, and the door is heaven set, and his hand is on the knob. He's about to open that door and come in. And so this is a great appeal for us to be patient, strengthen our hearts, hang in there. Do not complain with one another, against each other. The judge is standing right at the door. And again, those of us who are unsure, I don't know if I'm truly saved, we're like, oh no, there's got to be another place in this room that I can hide. There isn't. But those of you who, who know him and have a relationship with him, you're like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, I think I saw it move. I think I saw it move. Yeah, like we're, we're just eager for his return and it changes the way that we live. Fourth, it helps us establish proper priorities. I sure need this in like every area of my life, but uh, looking at this study really does help us to look at the priorities that we have in our life. Second Peter 3, 11. And 12. Listen to these words that Peter writes. 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? The things that you're holding on to in life that are not eternal are flammable they will burn. They will only last for a short amount of time. So you kind of ask yourself this question, self-evaluation this morning, are the things that I'm holding on to in my life flammable or eternal? Will they last or will they go away? I was having lunch with one of the guys who comes and plays basketball here and talking with him about the Lord and, and uh, he was telling me how, uh, how much time he gives to, to working out. You know, and I'm all for working out, work out, all the way, go. Um, but, but he was just talking about how much he does it. And three hours a day is the minimum each day that he works out. I mean, I was feeling a little flabby talking, you know, talking with, listening to him. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and you know, he, but he was trying to reconcile, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm doing this, you know, for God. I'm like, okay, so, so how? Yeah. How? And so we explored. Maybe, he, maybe he's actually onto something there. And he's having a hard time coming up with answers for how he's using his body and his investment in his body for the Lord in the way that he's using it. Now, whether it's uh, your body or material things that you have gathered together, toys in your room, in your closet, uh, the, those things that are, are out on your on, on your, in your garage, in, in your other home, in your barn, or whatever it is, those things that you hold, uh, we need to be careful. Because those things are fun for a moment. 
but they can be taken away. And then we can be left without them, and then we can be left wondering, well, what do I have that will last? What am I doing that will last? Am I living a life of holiness and godliness? That will last. Do you invest in each other around this room? When you think about these lives around here, each of us is going to die. We're going to go somewhere, heaven or hell. Have you cared for each other in a way that is going to last? Or do you keep it on the surface? And all the conversations you talk about is how blue the water was last week. And, and, you, and you just fail to go deeper. We have a, a, a missions banquet tonight. Some of you, if you're on the fence, I pray that you would land on the other side of the fence and decide to come. It's just so helpful for us to think about where are our priorities? What kind of life am I, am I living for? And you might think a fundraiser for missions, really? I got better things to do, or it's a busy time of life. I don't know if you know it's busy, Kyle, right now. And, uh, and uh, you know, I've got summer things to prepare for. You know, we've got to do all these things. And I would just encourage you to, to just take a moment to think about what things you're prioritizing. We need to live kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded. What are you doing that impacts the kingdom? And finally, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. Wrapping up on this point, the Bible presents the end of time as the source of greatest hope and encouragement for the believer. It's talked uh, about as the blessed hope, this eternal hope that we have, is what calls us forward and causes us to look ahead rather than to look down at the things around us in this life. We need that hope because difficulties are all around us and ahead of us as well, but they will end one day. Think of that biggest difficulty that is weighing you down, that you feel just despair about. Think about that thing that really just ruins yourself, or your sense of hope. Does it help for you to think that one day you'll be relieved of that burden? Does it help to think that one day that that thing that crushes you will be lifted and you'll just be like, oh, finally, I can breathe. That thorn in my flesh was pulled out. (laughs) That trial no longer chased me around. That pain that plagued my body has sprung free and gone somewhere that I don't even hear or see anymore. Death will be defeated. We will be reunited with those who are in Christ, loved ones who have passed away. We will face God face to face. So, so why study eschatology? Well, there are a lot of different reasons. And the Spirit will work in your life and in your heart and your mind to prompt you to take these passages of Scripture in this, this field of study and to move and to work and to change. So yes, eschatology is complex, but if we come to God's word, seeking his priorities, making this our prayer, not just an academic study, and if we come not just ready to go, okay, I memorized the chart, I'm ready, you know, it's not about the chart, okay? Um, There's a quote somewhere that I came across, and it says, as uh, Bible prophecy is not given so we can make a calendar, it's given to mold our character, And I would absolutely agree with that. Bible prophecy is not given so we can make a calendar or a chart for that matter. It's given to mold our character. So are you soft in his hands saying, Lord, show me how I need to live. What things do I long for that I shouldn't? 
And how can I long for your return? Be one of those people that Paul said, do you, do you, have you loved his appearing? Talking about the end times, Christ's return. A couple of things to make this a fruitful study I want to point out as well is that at the back of the, the room on the tables, there are these small cards that if you have questions about something that was said this morning or about something that's going to come up, then I would encourage you to write your question down there and, and submit it in the offering uh, boxes at the back. And we just, we, we want to have a conversation with you about this, but it's kind of hard for me to like one at a time have a conversation with each of you here. So this could be a way to do that. And uh, if it's something that we feel like is important enough to go work into the message that's coming up, then we'll choose to do that. If it's something that needs to be handled one-on-one, we could email you or talk with you, meet you in person. Uh, we'd love to do that as well. And so um, that's our desire is to walk along with you in this study this summer. So question cards are there. There will be a few handouts kind of spiraling, spiraling around. So uh, be sure to grab those. Let me, let me pray uh, and we'll wrap up our service. God, thank you for this morning. All we've done really is look at this prayer. And we look to you as our Father in heaven. And we say, Lord, your name your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom, oh, it's awesome. It's perfect. It's going to make all things new. And oh, I need what is new. Because the feelings of the old nature are still just biting at me. Lord, I long for and want to live for your return. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to be a yes man to you. What you say, we will obey. What you call us to do that is difficult, we will trust. And so, Lord, return soon. Today, if you please. But in the meantime, make us ready, longing and looking for the return of Christ. In your name, amen.